Welcome back to Alone in the Dark with the mysterious Mr. J. Today I'm going to be stepping away from the cryptids, the conspiracy theories, and the unknown. And I'm going straight to a true crime case. Coming straight from Texas. It's the Texas Tower Sniper. It was a bright and sunny morning on August 1st, 1966 at the University of Texas in Austin. Fall semester classes weren't in session yet, but many summer school students casually strolled about the sprawling city campus. The university, often referred to as UT Austin, is a flagship school of the University of Texas system and has been around since the late 1880s. One of the most distinctive features of the campus is the main building. However, among students and Austin locals, it is simply called the Tower. Standing at 307 feet tall, with 27 floors, the building is an imposing sight and grants a 360-degree view of the main campus and surrounding city. It was that Monday morning in August when a man would ascend to the top of the famous Southern Landmark and turn the average day into a day of infamy. That man's name was Charles Joseph. Whitman. The then 25-year-old Whitman was an architectural engineer, engineering student at the university, standing six foot tall and sporting a blonde crew cut. Whitman seemed like the average all-American boy of the 1960s. He was born on July 24th, 1941, in Lake Worth, Florida. Whitman was the eldest of three sons, born to self-made man Charles Adolphus Whitman Jr. and Margaret Hodges. On the surface, the Whitman family seemed like your normal, happy middle-class family. The family was devout Roman Catholics and attended church every Sunday. All three of the Whitman children were altar boys for their local church. However, in actuality, the family was scarred by physical and mental domestic violence issues, mainly perpetrated by Whitman's father. Whitman's dad even admitted he was a bit authoritarian and demanded perfection from his wife and his kids. From a young age, Whitman's father taught him how to shoot clean, and handle guns. One of the few bonding activities the family participated in was hunting. Charles Whitman showed a particular aptitude for marksmanship and was the best shot of the three Whitman children. His father said of him, Charlie could plug the eye out of a squirrel by the time he was 16. In addition to being a great shot, Whitman was also an avid outdoorman and became an Eagle Scout by the age of 12, the youngest person to ever achieve the rank in the United States history at the time. 
After graduating from high school, Whitman enlisted in the United States Marine Corps without telling his parents. According to a friend, the reason for this was because Whitman no longer wanted to live in his parent with his parents. After a recent incident where his father beat him severely and threw him in the family pool because he had to come home drunk. Although Whitman's military career was pretty unremarkable, he did have one special talent. Snipering. During his time in the service, Whitman earned a sharpshooter's badge and the Marine Corps' expeditionary medal. Sorry if I said that wrong. <coughs> he also scored 215 out of 250 on the Rifleman's Marksman Test. Instructors noted his excel. he excelled at shooting rapidly at long range and also at hitting moving targets at long range. In 1961, Whitman enrolled in the engineering program at the University of Texas in Austin. He was not a very good student academically and had a reputation among his peers for being a practical joker. In February of that same year, Whitman met Kathy Leisner, an aspiring teacher, and the two began dating. Six months later, they were married. Even though Whitman's grades improved that year, they were not sufficient to continue on his military scholarship. So he was ordered to return to active duty in 1963 at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. Whitman didn't enjoy going back to the Marines, but he achieved the rank of Lance Corporal while he was there. However, in November of 1963, he was court-martialed for gambling, threats, and possession of a personal firearm on base. After he threatened a, another Marine over a $30 gambling loan. As a result, he was jailed for 30 days and he was demoted from Lance Corporal all the way back to private. <sighs> what a blow. In 1964, he was honorably discharged from the Corps. While serving his time in confinement, Whitman began a journal that chronicled his life and his thoughts. It was in this journal that Whitman would document several mental health issues and stressors that he had never told anyone. In May of 1966, Margaret Whitman made the decision to leave Whitman Sr. due to his continuing mental and physical abuse. Charles Whitman drove all the way to Florida to help his mom move to Austin. In his journal, Whitman reflected on being terrified of going back home due to the fact that he didn't, did not know if his father would do something drastic. Whitman's father would later spend thousands of dollars calling him and his mother, begging Mrs. Whitman to reconsider their marriage. Around this time, Whitman also began abusing the amphetamine dextrine, a drug used to treat ADHD, and begun experiencing neurological issues in the form of tremendous headaches. The drug only aggravated Whitman's stress and the pressure began 
to build to a breaking point. He had less than a year until he was supposed to graduate and he signed up for a very heavy course load that summer. Due to this, he had quite the various part-time odd jobs he was doing, which made money tighter for him and Kathy, who was now working as a high school teacher. His mother was also stressing him out and was always over at his house. According to the manager of their apartment complex where Margaret resided, friends described that women's mood had darkened too and that he was no longer a happy Charlie. Everyone knew. On one occasion, Whitman and a fellow student named Francis Shuck Jr. were browsing the bookstore in the university tower when Whitman said, a person could stand off any army from the top of it, the tower, before they got him. The pressure was at a breaking point for Whitman, and that breaking point came on the night of July 31st, 1966. At around 7 p.m. on July 1st, while his wife Kathy was at her summer job as a bell operator, Charles Whitman started typing his suicide note. Part of it read, I do not quite understand what it is that compels me to type this letter. Perhaps it is to leave some vague reason for the actions I have recently performed. I do not really understand myself these days. Lately, I cannot recall when it started. I have been a victim of many unusual and irrational thoughts. The note goes on to say that women also wanted his body to be autopsy to determine what was causing his headaches and whether or not they could be the reason for what he was about to do. In regards to what he had planned to do, it was simple. He planned to kill his mother, Margaret Whitman, and his wife, Kathy. And he did just that. Later that night, Whitman picked up Kathy from work, dropped her off at home, saying he was going to visit his mother at her apartment. It's not known what exactly transpired, but Whitman ended up shooting his mother in the back of the head and plunging a hunting knife in her heart several times. Her body was later found lying in her bed. Her left hand was also broken in several places. Whitman then went back to his home at 906 Jewel Street and began typing up another note. This was a short note and essentially stated to whom it may concern. I have just taken my mother's life sometime between 12 a.m. and 3 a.m. After completing this note, Whitman then went into his bedroom where his wife was sleeping and stabbed her five times in the heart. After killing his wife, he then typed up an additional note saying that he killed the two because he wanted to spare them from the embarrassment and suffering of what he was about to do despite eluding or doing something bigger than killing his family members. Whitman made no mention in any of his notes about what was to come next. Later that morning on August 1st, Charles Whitman started to put his larger plan into action. First, he rented a hand trolley. Then he went to the bank and cashed $250 worth of bad checks, equivalent to around $2,000 today. Afterwards, he drove to a nearby hardware store, 
He purchased a 30 caliber universal M1 carbine and two additional magazines for it, along with eight boxes of ammunition. He then headed over to a local gun shop where he purchased four more M1 magazines, six more boxes of 30 caliber ammo, and some gun oil. At Sears, he purchased a Sears Model 6, the 12-gauge semi-automatic shotgun before returning home where he proceeded to saw the barrel and the stock off. While at home, he placed the footlocker onto the hand trolley and proceeded to load it with more guns and supplies that he already had, including a Remington 700 6mm bolt-action hunting rifle, a 35 caliber pump rifle, a 9mm Luger pistol, a Gillespie Brescia 25 caliber pistol, and a Smith & Wesson M19 357 Magnum revolver. He also packed 700 rounds of ammo, food, coffee, vitamins, dextrodrine, excedrin, earplugs, jugs of water, matches, lighter fluid, rope, binoculars, a machete, three knives, a transistor radio, toilet paper, a razor, and a bottle of deodorant before leaving his house for the last time ever. Whitman donned khaki coveralls over his shirt and jeans and a white headband. With all his gear, Whitman proceeded towards the final destination, UT Austin. At around 11.30 a.m., Whitman arrived. He obtained a parking pass near the main campus and wheeled his gear and weapons over towards the main building. He rode the elevator all the way to the top, all the way to the 27th floor, and dragged his equipment up the stairs to the main floor of the observation deck. Edna Townsley, a 51, age 51, was working at the observation deck reception area. Whitman struck Townsley with his fist, knocking her to the ground. He then grabbed one of his rifles and smashed her skull in with the butt of it, fracturing it. He then dragged her body behind nearby couch. Two people coming down from the observation deck noticed Whitman in the reception area, but didn't see Townsley's body. They noticed his arsenal but thought nothing of it and assumed he was there to shoot pigeons that often infested the observation deck. Whitman nodded at them and said hello as the two witnesses passed by. Afterwards, he pushed the reception desk across the doors to access the stairwell from the 27th floor. Within a couple of minutes of doing this, Whitman encountered additional victims M.J. Gabber, his wife Mary, her sister Marquette Lamport, and their sons Mike and Mark were on their way to see the observation deck and climb the stairs that were blocked by Whitman. As Mike and Mark squeezed past the desk, Whitman and opened fire with a Model 60 shotgun. Mark was struck in the head and was instantly killed while Mike was injured by a blast to the shoulder. That would rid him his arm permanently useless. Whitman then fired down the stairs, hitting Mary and Margaret. MJ was uninjured, but his wife was left blind in both eyes and paralyzed from the neck down. 
Marquette was killed. After dealing with the Gober family, Whitman finished moving all his gears up to the observation deck of the tower. He also barricaded the other entrances to the deck and shot the injured Townsley in the head, killing her. At 11.48 a.m., the sniper fire began firing from 231 feet up. Whitman picked out his first victim, Claire Wilson, an 18-year-old anthropology student who was eight months pregnant. She was walking across the South Mall portion of the campus with a friend, Thomas Eakman, when a bullet ripped through her admin. Abdomen. Claire would survive, but her baby would not, as the bullet had gone through her ad- abdomen and into the skull of the unborn child. As Eekman kneeled beside the injured Claire, another shot rang out and exploded out of Eekman's neck, killing him instantly. Whitman followed up, followed the mantra of one shot, one kill that he learned in the Marines and shot each of his victims only once. Most of the victims shot would be hit within the first 20 minutes of what would become a 96-minute ordeal. Robert Boyer, a math professor, would be the next to fall victim to the sniper. He was walking along the campus when he was shot in the lower back, killing him. Three other people were shot and injured next in a quick succession. One of these victims, David Matterson, was injured after a bullet blew off his wrist and hand. Another victim, Thomas Ashton, was killed by a shot to the chest as he attempted to help the three injured people. Many of the people killed and injured that day were struck while attempting to help other people, not knowing that the gunfire was coming from an elevated position. Four more people, including a shopkeeper and a high school student, were injured next. The height of the tower allowed Whitman to target people on the streets adjacent to the campus, such as Guadalupe Street, which was packed with restaurants and storefronts. Another high school student, Karen Griffin, would be killed by a shot to the shoulder and right chest. A 24-year-old student, Thomas Carr, would run to Griffith's Griffiths to aid, but was killed by a shot that severed his spine. By this time, the police were being inundated with calls from people in the area reporting someone shooting on the campus. Responding officers were only equipped with revolvers and shotguns, neither of which had the range to engage Whitman from the ground. As officers arrived, 18-year-old Claudia Rutt and her boyfriend Paul Soning attempted to take refuge behind a construction barrier. Hearing a lull in gunfire, Sontang abruptly stood up. When he did, a shot fired by Whitman ripped through Sontang's mouth, blowing off his jaw and killing him instantly. Rutt tried to reach her boyfriend's body, but another student, Carla Wheeler, hiding with them, restrained her. As they were struggling, a shot hit Wheeler in the hand tearing off three of her fingers and striking Rutt in the chest. Rutt would later die in the hospital. Roy Schmidt, a 29-year-old electrician, took cover behind his car. 
After a while, he stood up believing that he was out of range. He was shot in the abdomen from a distance of over 500 yards, which killed him. Austin police officer Billy Speed was taking cover with other officers behind a decorative bolster on the South Mall when he was shot and killed through a gap in the masonry. As the situation continued to escalate, police commandeered ambulances and armored cars and used them to reach the wounded. Local residents hearing reports of shooting on the radio grabbed their hunting rifles and headed to the scene. Many of the citizens either loaned their rifles to police or took it upon themselves to fire Whitman, which was credited with help slowing his fire rate as he was pinned down. A police sharpshooter in a small plane circled the tower and fired at Whitman, but was forced to stay back as Whitman fired on it. While Whitman had his hands full with all this, a small team gathered and attempted to breach the tower. The team included Ramiro Martinez, an off-duty officer, Officer Houston McCoy, and Alan Crum, a university employee. A few additional Austin police officers were also in tow. The group took the elevator up to the 26th floor and took the stairs up to the 27th floor, removing Whitman's barricade and then to the observation deck. The group split up and converged on Whitman's position on the north side of the deck. As Crum went one way, Whitman heard Crum accidentally discharge his gun and switched to his M1 carbine, waiting for Crum to round the corner. On the other side of the deck, Martinez, McCoy, and McCoy rounded the opposite corner and flanked Whitman, who had his back turned to them. Martinez emptied his 38 service revolver at Whitman, but missed every shot. However, as Whitman was turning around to engage them, McCoy opened fire with his shotgun, hitting Whitman twice. Martinez then took McCoy's shotgun and walked up to the injured Whitman and fired an additional shot at him at close range, killing him. Crum grabbed a towel from Whitman's footlocker and frantically waved it over the edge of the deck, signaling that the rampage was finally over. At the end of it all, 17 people, including Whitman, were dead. 32 were injured by gunshot wounds, with one of the victims, Dave Grumby, dying of his injuries nearly 40 years later in 2001, bringing the final death toll to 18. After, shooting, after the shooting, the tower was closed by the city of Austin, but was reopened in 1968 after the bullet holes were patched. However, it was again closed in 1975 to 1999 after several suicides. Nowadays... You can only visit the tower by appointments with a guided tour. All visitors are screened with metal detectors as well. A small memorial plaque for the victims was also built on campus along with the memorial gardens. An investigation into Whitman found that he had visited several psychologists in the psychiatrist in the last year or two before the shooting. He told them that he was depressed and according to his journal i talked with the doctor once for about two hours and tried to convey him my fears that i felt come overwhelming violent impulses 
An autopsy found that Whitman also had a Pekin-sized brain tumor, which officials speculate might have been a contributing factor to Whitman's actions. One of the main symptoms of brain tumors are headaches and personality changes, both of which affected Whitman greatly. Neurologists theorized that the tumor pressed against Whitman's amygdala, a part of the brain related to anxiety and fight or flight responses. A few days after the shooting, a funeral was held for Whitman. Since he was a military ver- veteran, he was buried with, mo- with full military honors. His casket was draped in an American flag, and he was buried next to his mother in Lake Worth, Florida. And that is the conclusion of the Texas Tower shooter. It's crazy. I live in Texas. I've heard about this story so many times. And it just, it's crazy that things can happen like that in your own backyard. This was Alone in the Dark with the Mysterious Mr. J. If you like true crime stories like this, go check out The Unmentionables.